0: and welcome to the 28th episode of Left of Skeptic. My name is Brittany Lind. And I am Kayla Moria. And we are a
1: paranormal podcast. Yes, we are. How are you today, Kayla? I am great. I'm excellent. I just got a bunch more birthday presents and my life is feeling pretty cool right now. Awesome. Awesome. What'd you get? I got Star Trek wine from my mom. Classic. Okay. I got this awesome shelf. It's not a bookshelf per se because it's different. It's tiered. And my Mm -hmm. grandpa built it for me. Damn. I got a VCR. Nice. I actually really want a VCR. It's my backup VCR so that when my other VCR eventually fails, I still have a way to watch our many, many VHS tapes.
0: (laughs) Nice. Nice. Got to be prepared. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Gotta be prepared. Yeah, I mean, I don't even have a VCR, so you're twice as better as I am. Twice as
1: better. <laughs> twice as better. <laughs> um, I got power tools. Awesome. And then my brother-in-law informed me that I am not allowed to drink the wine and then use the power tools because he does not want to have to show up and fix whatever I attempt to do at that point. oh ye of little faith. Oh no, that. That little faith is totally justified. I should okay. not drink wine and use the power tools, especially when one of the tools is a sawzall.
0: Yeah, maybe not.
1: <laughs> yeah. How are you doing? Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty
0: good. I went to All Pints this weekend, which was super fun. Yeah, that's why we're recording on Monday, because you were going to be hungover as fuck. I wasn't, though, which is great, because I've kind of figured out the best way to do beer fests, mm-hmm. which is if you don't like the beer dump it out (laughs) just dump it out you don't need to drink everything especially if you don't like it there were some that I absolutely adored and there were just like a couple gulps left of it and I still like dumped it out because I want to try as much as possible I was on a mission to try as many sours as they had like throughout all of the I think 109 breweries so I was just walking around getting all the sours and you can't drink you can't drink 50 beers even if they're little like that's just too many too many too many so it'd be like take a sip how do you feel about it not super into it dump it out try the next one that's how you do it
1: do they have a space for y'all to dump all those things out or do you just dump it on the ground
0: it's just the ground it's grass
1: so well i know so bayfront is basically just like the lawn's drunk right now it's just sticky and drunk it's gotta be so
0: sticky Drunk grass. Drunk grass. But we're in a bit of a drought, so maybe it likes all that beer. That does not count.
1: What? (laughs) Watering your lawn with beer does not count as, like, helpful against the drought. I'm almost positive.
0: You don't know. You know, back in the olden days, people would drink beer because the water wasn't safe. Okay.
1: Huh? Mm -hmm. You're, You're sounding a little bit like, you know... It's got what plants crave. It's got electrolytes right now.
0: <laughs> oh, don't compare me to idiocracy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not the whole movie, just that that part. Just that in one your part. justification. Just that.
0: It also rained for like two
1: minutes, so it kind of meshed together. That rain was yeah. so cool, though. So we didn't address it in the last podcast fully. But, oh, I was talking about the
0: rain on Saturday, but yes, you can really hear it in our second commercial.
1: Yes, it was so cool. We didn't really, so cool. like I said, get a chance to fully address it, but there was a full-out thunderstorm, and we needed it because it has been dry. It it rained in Bayfront? For like two minutes. Oh, it didn't yep. rain up here at all, and I'm only like five miles away. Yeah. We got nothing. Yeah,
0: no, it was, well, it's, it's Duluth the lake has an entirely different weather than the hill true yeah no it was good though because the uh the air quality was pretty terrible when we started out the day walking between places i actually was wearing a mask outside because my lungs were like what are you doing to me and then by the time we got to bayfront though closer to the lake windier it really was breathable again and that was wonderful i love being able to breathe the air Like, my favorite kind of air is the breathable kind.
1: (laughs) Poor Brittany with your lung problems. She's like, I love being able to breathe air.
0: Yeah, yeah. My lungs have, like, hurt for a week. Just a constant, achy pain. So I really apologize to anyone listening to the episodes. Um, I try, we both try to, you know, remove those little spikes where I take in deep breaths. But... My lungs are very sad
1: right now, so sometimes we'll miss them, and I, I'm sorry. The world is on fire, and our podcast may or may not reflect that. Yep. Both in tone yep. and background noises of breathing.
0: <laughs> I can't help it. I can't breathe.
1: <laughs> Curse these weak lungs. <laughs> well, you know what helps with breathing? Drinking. Yes, in the same way I assume it helps with breathing, in the same way that it helps water our grass. So, (laughs) I think before we get started, we're going to have a word from our sponsor.
0: Good, because I've been waiting to open this beer until now. Give her a crack. Brittany, I had a thought. I love thoughts. Tell it. Tell me. Tell me your thought.
1: Every week we talk about what we're drinking, which for me just happens to be a royal bohemian this week. But we never talk about beers that neither of us are huge drinkers of.
0: That's a very good point. Because I'm drinking a raspberry crush, which is one of the tart wheat ales. Um, And I tend to, with those tart wheat ales, I also tend to like hoppier things. But that's not what you like. And there's a lot of stuff that we
1: just generally don't choose as our main beer. So, this week, I think we should talk about a couple of the beers that our listeners might have an interest in that we don't necessarily drink. So, everybody, are you ready to hear about some new beers this week? We're just going to go ahead and say that they said yes. All right. The North Tower Stout is a hell of a beer to check out. This is actually a silver medal winner at the Great American Beer Festival for the 2020 Oatmeal Stout category, so you know it's a good beer. Multi accents of chocolate, coffee, and dark fruit are all balanced with a restrained hot presence in this stout-hearted ale. It is thick. Thick. Well, it just so
0: happens that the beer I'm going to tell you about is also a medal winner. It is a gold medal winner from the Great American Beer Festival, and it is the Duluth Coffee Pale Ale, nice. made with my favorite local Duluth coffee which is pretty much the only coffee that I drink because it is the best. So this America's Best Outdoor City demands a beer that pushes boundaries and this mildly hopped pale is created using single farm source beans from Duluth Coffee Company. It is delicious. Normally when you think of coffee beers you think of darker beers Mm -hmm. that are mixed with coffee but this is a pale ale and how they make a pale ale a coffee beer I'm going to say magic.
1: Sounds like magic to me. These two and all Earthrider beers are made with Lake Superior water and perfect ingredients.
0: For more information about these beers and others, visit earthrider.beer.
1: And we're back. This week, I would like to tell you a personal story that leads into my main story for the week. All right. When I was telling you last week about my trip, I specifically Mm -hmm. left out one of the craziest stories I had because I wanted to use it as a reason to lead into a location. Ooh, okay, I'm excited. So, while we were driving, after leaving Reno, Nevada, I was the one driving, and it was a really windy road, and it was stressful because of my vision, I don't do well with night driving, and Mm -hmm. there was super hazy because of the forest fires, and I also get motion sick, so it just wasn't going well. So I told everybody else, you know, at the next rep stop, I'm going to pull over, and if somebody else could take over driving, that would be great. Right. Which we stopped regularly anyway because we had a dog with us and it was just nice to let her get out and stretch her legs or whatever. Right. So next available rest stop. Don't even look what it is. Pull in and get out. My friend Chandler goes to use the restroom and I'm hanging out with the dog. And a little bit later they come back out and they're like, this place has a weird vibe and I don't like it. And I was like, well, what happened? They said that they were in the bathroom And somebody tried to open their stall door. Oh, I don't like that. (laughs) Well, and it's not a busy rest stop. It's late at night and there were not a lot of people there. But we just figured, you know, whatever. Somebody probably just wasn't looking and was trying to rush into the first available stall and then didn't see all Mm -hmm. the other available open stalls. Right. So Chandler hangs out with the dog and then I go in to use the restroom. And there was nobody else in there. All the stalls were empty. But it did feel weird and in more than just a public restroom empty weird vibe creepy at night by yourself type deal yeah so do my business wash my hands leave and as i'm leaving i was like oh what's that there's a big ass rock there with a plaque right. on it and the plaque says the donner party this plaque commemorates the ill-fated donner party of california-bound emigrants." Who wintered approximately six miles from here in 1846 to 1847. Many died of exposure and starvation. What? So I went back to <laughs> I went back to Chandler and I was like, yo, this is why it feels weird here. What? Wait, the the Donner Party has a memorial rest stop? The Donner Party has a memorial park, rest stop, everything there is named after the Donner Party. I just didn't realize that's where we were. We were at a Whoa. rest stop in Nevada County, California, because at that point, area had really ceased to hold any meaning until we actually got to the location we were destined for. But right. this place was called the Donner Pass Rest Area, westbound. We were heading westbound, and this is the story of how we accidentally ended up taking the Donner Pass without realizing it. That is insane. That is insane. So a little background on the Donner Party, because also two of the people we were traveling with did not really know who the Donner Party was. They knew the name, what? just didn't know the story behind it. If it had worked out differently, the group of settlers that came to be known as the Donner Party would have moved right along over the Sierra Nevada into California, and we would have never heard about them. They would have just been another group of colonizers in the 1800s that traveled from the Midwest to the West to change their lives. Mm-hmm. But poor planning, a series of very bad decisions, and an early snowstorm caused 60 members of this group to become stranded in the mountains during the winter of 1846. And as hypothermia set in and food ran out, many resorted to that which the Donner Party is now synonymous with today, cannibalism. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, there are different kinds of cannibalism. There's ritualistic Sacrificial, blah 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 blah, serial murdery, which is one of your favorites, I know, because you like true crime. But the type of cannibalism
0: as a vegetarian.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But the type of cannibalism that the Donner Party took part in here is called survival cannibalism. And as crazy as we all love to make this story sound, survival cannibalism was actually far more common throughout history, especially with settlers, than we realized. Archaeologists have found mm-hmm. evidence of cannibalism in the human family tree at least far back as 800,000 years. National Geographic lists a few examples, such as maritime cannibalism, polar mm-hmm. exploration cannibalism. Heard of that. Cannibalism yeah. in concentration camps. Oof. And that's not even counting the tons of evidence of prehistoric cannibalism. So you've got cannibalism as just a general source of nutrition when you go to pre-stort things because they hunted humans like they hunted other animals. You've got cannibalism as a terrible, tragic form of survival because that's all you could do because, like, in concentration camps, people weren't being fed. Right.
0: Starved. Yeah.
1: Bill Shute, a biology professor at Long Island University's post-campus, and author of a new book called Cannibalism, A Perfectly Natural History, told National <laughs> okay. Geographic that cannibalism is extremely widespread in the animal kingdom and humans are no exception. What makes us different are the rituals, the culture and the taboos. We've been patterned to believe that cannibalism is the worst thing you could do. That's the end of his quote. But really, I mean, like I said, that's what some people need to do to survive. But belief that this is the worst thing you can do, that is why tales of the Donner Party are so gruesome and have been passed around for years getting worse and worse and more exaggerated into some sort of weird urban legend that is actually history type tale. Right. I could go deep into all of the troubles they faced and all of the bad decisions, but my story got really long and this isn't a history lesson, so... (laughs) Trust me, it's tragic. You should look it up sometime. It's a really interesting dive, but here's a much briefer summary that I've cut it down to. Okay. In the spring of 1846, a group of nearly 90 emigrants left Springfield, Illinois, and headed west, led by two wealthy brothers, Jacob and George Donner, hence the name. They initially followed the regular California Trail westward to Fort Bridger, Wyoming, From there, however, the emigrants decided to leave the established trail and take a supposedly shorter route to California set by a dishonest trail guide named Lansford Hastings. Hastings was not at Fort Bridger at the time. He was leading an earlier wagon trail along the new route. But he left word for the Donner Party to follow, promising that he would mark the trail for them. And he marked the trail all right. They found a note a ways down the trail that said the trail was worse than he expected and for them to just sit and wait for him.
0: They waited eight
1: days with no word from Hastings before finally they sent a messenger forward who did not return for another several days later with a note from Hastings that said to take a different trail that turned out to be even worse than the first quote-unquote shortcut. This shortcut cost them 18 very valuable days. Plus, different days that they had to stop to set up camp to eat or let the oxen graze, all these other things. Right. In an ideal world, they would have reached their destination long before snowstorms became a problem. But because of these delays and because there was a snowstorm that hit a lot earlier, on October 28th, a heavy snowfall trapped them high in the Sierra Nevada mountains, much too far away from their destination to try to push forward. Allegedly reduced to cannibalism to survive through the winter, only half the original group made it to California that following year.
0: Yeah.
1: So, knowing that backstory, when Sean, Chandler, Connor, and I took the Donner Pass, I had moved to the back of the van to lay down, but it was right. nagging at me, and I couldn't help but feel like I should be doing something. Mm-hmm. I was like, I can't come back to the podcast and know that I have traveled the Donner Pass and just say that I traveled the Donner Pass and took a nap. That's not acceptable.
0: Ooh, spooky bathroom, that's
1: it. Exactly. So I needed to do something more. So I decided to open up the Ghost Radar Classic application. Like traditional paranormal detecting equipment, Ghost Radar, which is available on Android, Apple, pretty much anything, it is meant to measure electromagnetic fields, vibrations, and sounds. However, the company that makes this app boasts that while traditional paranormal equipment can easily be fooled when simple mundane bursts of normal EMF fields, sounds, and vibrations occur, Ghost Radar sets itself apart by analyzing the readings from sensors in the phone, giving indications only when interesting patterns occur. Okay. Okay. The theory is that intelligent energy can be made aware of the ability to influence the sensors of the mobile devices so readouts result in interpretations of readings from the sensors in the form of words lights on the screen charted readings the lights on the screen indicate areas of strength from red yellow green and blue so red is the strongest blue is the weakest you can try to laugh off the application's readings as coincidental or random but honestly there are too many times that the words that have popped up or the readings have fit the situation I'm in. And there are also far too many times where I've sat there and used it hoping for something to have no activity at all.
0: Right. Yeah, it's one thing if
1: if you go to use it and it works every time, mm-hmm. like that's not likely. So I actually started using this app as a joke when Lyra showed it to me. But the more Mm. I've used it in various situations, the more I like it as a quick way to help or to supplement other paranormal hunting or detection devices. This is actually how I found the name of the ghost, Miss Alice. Oh, that's right. This is the application I used. Yeah. So I opened up Ghost Radar when we got ready to leave again and sat watching it from the back of the van. So here's the trick with Ghost Radar. You can't take the readout seriously for like the first 10 minutes. When you turn it on, it seems like measurements are going crazy, but that's not ghosts, like, just scrambling to talk to you. It's it adjusting to the environment and getting... Calibrated? Calibrated! That's the word I was looking for that I didn't have typed into here, but calibrated is a great word for that. Thank you. It just needs time to chill and even out and get a feel for the area. So after about 15 minutes, by this time we were on the road, I started paying attention to the phone. It had done its calibration and had really been pretty silent for about five minutes or so. So we were a few miles down the road. For the first few miles, nothing happened, and then a red blip came on the screen and disappeared. Shortly after, another red blip came on the screen, and a voice came into my headphones. Not like a creepy voice, just the automated voice that the app plays when it interprets the word. The word? Cook. Cook. Oh, a few more red blips on and off the screen and then how drink oh. okay. it said drink twice and then the app froze like in the middle of a page turn it looked like a page was turning but the problem is I don't know why it would do this this app doesn't have a page turn appearance I've tried to make it happen again since this happened and I can't you click the ad at the bottom, you click the information, you click to try to get the publisher's info. Nothing looks like a page turn. It all just directly goes to the next screen.
0: So interesting.
1: When this happened, I closed the circle on the app, which is thanking and letting them know that I'm taking this seriously. Apologize to whatever was listening, closed the app and then opened it up again. It still said drink, which it normally does when you reopen the app. It will just have whatever was on it left over. Yeah. And it stayed inactive for a long time after that, but then red blips started flashing around again, and the word, ahead. Okay. It stayed on ahead for a while, and then the lights began to appear as yellow and green, but words were still showing up. Guide. Asleep. Oh, no. Almost. Problem. Problem. The lights were now appearing green and blue and very rarely yellow, and it said mud. Beautiful. Force. Force was the last word. It stopped saying anything after that. Some blips flickered in and out, but now were mostly green and blue, and I watched mm-hmm. for as long as I could long after the activity actually stopped and decided i needed to get some sleep because the roads were windy and i was getting more and more motion sick so I at your phone (laughs) (laughs) so i closed the circle with a thank you and closed the app this all happened in the span of about an hour there was much longer pauses between words than i put forward in this story i appreciate that (laughs) no problem (laughs) i don't know what all the words meant But in some way, if you look at them, cook, how, drink, guide, asleep, almost, problem, mud, beautiful force, none of them feel super out of the place, and I really want to look more into it. I just haven't had the time or availability yet. I was very happy that something communicated with me, even though I didn't fully understand it, and apparently I'm not the only person that is communicated with in the Donner Pass or the Donner State Park area.
0: It was already such a good story, and now you're going to tell me more. Mm -hmm. Oh,
1: yay! (laughs) The area that the Donner Party Memorial State Park resides in is called Truckee, and the local Truckee residents and many others believe that the site where the Donner Party was stranded is haunted. Nico Combs, a park interpreter, states that the area might be haunted, and she points to the fact that, The park brought in a cadaver dog that had indicated one specific area that holds human remains. So they know for sure human remains have come up because that's a legit cadaver dog. Right. People believe that one ghost that haunts the park is Tamsin Donner. She's often portrayed as kind of a heroine in this tragic story. Mm -hmm. At the time that the Donner party was stranded, Tamsin's husband, George, the leader of the group with his brother, injured his hand. And she refused to leave her husband's side, which actually resulted in her own death. When the first rescue party arrived, she sent her children with them, but remained back because George hand had become gangrenous. Aww. This infection ultimately claimed his life. She died not long after never making it to California to get back to her children.
0: That's sad, but she wouldn't leave him. Mhm.
1: That's love. Or old timey marriage, leave either you, way. Steve. one of the park visitors named only as elizabeth in the story found herself getting a warm feeling as she drove towards donner pass on a road trip she felt like she was about to see an old friend that kind of excitement feeling but it confused her because she had no plans to do this as she neared the park tears sprang to her eyes completely unbidden And as she parked, she felt like she smelled a campfire burning. And she also felt like somebody was watching her, but she was the only one around. She walked to the remains of a cabin that the Donner Party used. And as she did, she heard voices. But when she got to the area, no one was there and there was no fire burning at the site. Oh. Another popular legend tells of a unnamed witness who actually wasn't there looking for paranormal or spooky experiences at all. Okay. He was out skiing alone off of the Sugar Bowl Ski Resort which is close to where the Donner Party camped when he became disoriented and realized he was lost. He didn't know where he was. Mm -hmm. A woman had approached him, dressed strangely for skiing and she led him to a nearby camp where several other people were and then from there he was able to find the trail that he needed to be on. After finding the trail, he returned back to the camp to thank the woman, but there was no trace of her, or the campsite, or the other people that were at the campsite when he showed up. What? Nothing was there to indicate that that space was full of people before. And it's winter. snow. You'd be able to tell that. Exactly. Visitors to Donner Lake, where there's a bronze statue standing to memorialize the people who lost their lives on that trip claimed that there is a ghostly image of a woman in 19th century clothing that appears in some of their vacation photos. And those people believe that this is Tamsin Donner, doomed forever to roam the woods of her demise. Complaints of overwhelming sadness and chills are common near the monument. And this could be explained easily enough, walking around a park where a bunch of people, you know, died. Died. And were eaten and lost their family and their lives. But... EMF detectors have picked up many abnormally high readings at Pioneer Rock, the Settlers' former campsite, and the memorial. Interesting. I mean, not surprising, but... So you've got Donner Pass, Donner State Park, which is kind of where everything is, Donner Lake, the visitor center, and you actually have the tunnels at Donner Pass which are tragic not because of the Donner Party, but because of the history behind them. The tunnels at Donner Pass were constructed by Chinese laborers and took more than 15 months of hard work to finish. A dozen tunnels of some of the most treacherous areas of the mountains were constructed here to be a part of the Transcontinental Railroad, linking the networks of Omaha, Nebraska, to the West Coast and Oakland. They were constructed through the use of hand drilling, black powder, and nitroglycerin, which was one of the first times they used nitroglycerin to build tunnels, which also led to a whole lot of worker deaths. Yeah, not surprised by that at all. Let's just throw these chemicals. They explode. Let's see what happens. The tunnels were used by trains for 125 years up until 1993, when the line was rerouted through a new tunnel passing through Mount Judah. The tunnel and snowshed now sit abandoned and despite being on private property they're a popular place for hikers, snowshoers, and paranormal investigators. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tunnel number 6, Tunnel 7, and Tunnel 8 are apparently of great interest. People have seen auras coming through them. They've captured faces in the rock through photos. And in general, people just feel sad going through them or feel oddly tired like you've been hiking so you expect to feel tired but they feel overwhelmingly tired I'm not the only person that has been affected by this area it's not coincidental there's other documentation of it a few other final important facts that I think are worth noting about the Donner party that I had pulled out of my earlier history story but I grabbed them again because I wanted to pull them back in I love fun facts. <laughs> Most of the survivors recovered swiftly, but the oh, o- really? the ordeal was obviously haunting for them and for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. But one man, Louis Keensburg, would apparently go to the saloons and, like in Sacramento and boast that human liver was the best meat I ever ate. Did it taste like chicken? He even opened a steakhouse in San Francisco, which failed, just as a side note. That's good. Kingsburg because that's concerning. Is allegedly the person who ate Tamsin Donner, the dutiful wife. Her body was never found, and apparently that could possibly be because Keensburg ate her. He admitted to eating her, but not killing her. According to his account, Tamsin arrived at his cabin after Georgia died and passed away in her sleep, which he then used her to, you know, eat. And then went around bragging about human liver being the best food he ever ate. So, classy guy.
0: Seems kind of like a dick.
1: Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. And you know what? Yep. If somebody was running around Sacramento bragging about eating me and then trying to open Open a a steakhouse, steakhouse. I'd be pissed off and haunting the area I died to.
0: Yeah, 100%. Also, it's
1: very traumatic to be eaten, even if you're already dead. In April 1847, the California Star printed an article that would shock the world. It was an account from the Donner Party rescuer, Thomas Flaine that spoke of starving survivors consuming brains and detailed grisly scenes of half-eaten corpses of men, women, and children. The article described children eating parents and mothers eating husbands and it went super far and insisted that when offered food, some of the survivors turned it away because they preferred their new meat survivors such as Tamsin Donner's daughter Eliza were disgusted by the article and called it sensationalist and misleading yeah and some survivors like 12 year old Patty Reed who was a part of the Reed party which traveled with the Donner party but were not related and they were quick to assert that the Reed family were the only ones who managed to survive without resorting to cannibalism we didn't eat anyone guys we We made it without eating anyone But if I was a person who died in a tragic and horrible accident where I was forced to eat my already dead companions, I would also probably be pissed at somebody spreading word like that around, so I might haunt. These are just additional reasons people might haunt the area that they died, because everyone around them are jerks and pissing them off.
0: I don't think you necessarily need the additional reasons. I think the fact that they went through a terrible ordeal... And then they starved to death and then they were eaten
1: kind of kind of seems like it does it but i'm ready to hear more another reason the donner tragedy (laughs) had little to no effect on emigration to california by 1849 after the discovery of gold in east of sacramento the trek over truckee pass which is now donner pass turned almost into a flood of people like everybody was taking this route They just now know that they had to get over the mountain before the snow fell. So they just learned from their mistake. So all these people died in this area, and now people are trucking over their pass all the time, just like, do-do-do-do-do, got to get out of here before it gets cold. I'd be pissed too. (laughs) Got to go get some gold. And then, just as a side note, this has nothing to do with why it might be more haunted, but it is just, I think it needs to be said. The supposed, like, virgin land that they were traversing on their journey, this Mm -hmm. abandoned area, and they were all alone, it was not abandoned, and they were not alone. It had been inhabited by Native Americans for generations before the Donner Party just rolled on through there. But the Donners, like all colonizers, didn't view Indigenous people as people. They were jackasses about it. According to some accounts, the Washoe people who live near the Nevada-California border went Mm -hmm. to where the Donner Party was trapped and approached them with food, and the family shot at them. I heard that, that they tried to help them, and then the Donner Party was like, no, we don't need you. And they're like, oh, oh, food? No. Okay. So they were, this was not just tragedy, this was stupidity on so many levels so that is the story of the donner party and the time that i took donner pass on accident and accidentally yeah accidentally found
0: (laughs) (laughs) i like how you knew that you were there because it was haunted and then you're like but why oh this is why
1: all right all right (laughs) i also like that i specifically didn't plan any spooky stuff for this trip like we also at one point were near nebraska city and could have gone down the seven sisters road
0: mm-hmm.
1: but i didn't want to like make these other three people that really have no interest in spooky shit take a spooky trip Do with a spooky me. shit <laughs> yeah but somehow we ended up on the donner pass so i still got some spooky stuff in anyway
0: and a great story
1: indeed on a skeptic scale of paranormal, to normal, pair being five, normal being one, what are you going to give my personal story? 4.5. Thank you. I love You're that. You're welcome. I'm going to give it a five because I lived it. <laughs> uh, Funny. <laughs> oh, man. After recounting that Weird ass night. I'm feeling stressed out stressed but happy, mind you. But I think I need it to crack open another beer, so let's take this time to get a word from our sponsor. Oh, that was a quick crack. I was proud of that one. Brittany, it's August already. Summer is coming to a close.
0: Oh, it's so sad.
1: It's sad, except there are still a lot of summer events that you can hit up to enjoy the rest of it while you've got it. For example, at the Festival Grounds, Earthrider is having the Northbound Caravan. This is August 20th and 21st. Features great acts such as Duluth locals, The Slamming Doors. Love them. Tickets are available now on sale or you can buy them at the gate. You should really check it out. What event are you looking forward to? I'm actually looking forward to the Earthrider
0: Fest, which is their sort of anniversary celebration. And it's coming up on September 11th. And it features bands such as Charlie Parr, Turn, 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 the Polk Aerobics, and more. And you can find tickets for that on sale at earthrider.beer. It'll link to their Eventbrite page. But I would definitely check it out early because there are only 350 advance tickets this year.
1: And I'm going to want to go because I love the polka aerobics. I
0: knew you would.
1: <laughs> For more information on these events and other future events, you can follow Earthrider Beer on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.
0: And we are back. So, Kayla, I am so glad that you wanted to go to California for your story because my story is one that I've actually wanted to talk about since we started, but it's a little bit out of like the Midwest sphere or whatever, but I'm using this opportunity to tell it because I've actually been talking about this location for years and assuming that the world is still open in February, I will be going there on my very own trip to California. Very nice. Because my story tonight is about...
1: The Whaley House. Oh, okay. So I have actually never looked into this or seen things on it, but I've heard you talk about it. So I'm excited to hear more. I'm madly obsessed with the Whaley House.
0: Yeah. I think when you said, I'm going to go to California, I said, I was supposed to go to California last February, and I wanted to go see the Whaley House, and I didn't get to. (laughs) (laughs) So now I'm going to tell you about the Whaley House so that eventually when I get to go there, you can be just as excited for me as I am. Sounds,
1: I was, you were supportive of my whole trip, and I will be very supportive of yours. And why don't you just take me there in my imagination right now? All right.
0: Picture it. The Whaley House is located in the old town neighborhood of San Diego, California. This two-story Greek revival house was designed by Thomas Whaley, who was a native New Yorker who moved to California during the gold rush, probably around the same time as the Donner Party. (laughs) Um, and he was actually one of the first settlers in San Diego. And in fact, hashtag fun fact, uh, he was appointed president of the San Diego City Board of Trustees, informally known as the mayor, uh, in the late 1850s,
1: which is around the time of the Donner Party, right? Yeah. Uh, 1846 to 1847 is when they were trapped. Yeah. So he's one of the ones who made it. It's one of the flood afterwards.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, all from everything I've read, he didn't have to eat anyone. That's good. At least you got that going for you. Yeah. Good yep. job, Mr. Whaley. Good job, Mr. Whaley. Construction on the house began on May sixth, eighteen fifty-six, and was completed in eighteen fifty-seven to the tune of ten thousand dollars, which in today's money I was waiting for it is three hundred twelve thousand two hundred and ninety-four dollars and twenty-five cents. And it was not only made from bricks from Thomas Whaley's own brickyard, it was also the very first brick building in San Diego, and the first two-story brick building in all of Southern California. And the residence became kind of a gathering place for San Diegans. San
1: Diegans?
0: Yeah, San Diegans. That's what people from San Diego are called. All right. I googled it. (laughs) Um, Besides being the Whaley family home, it would eventually contain San Diego's first commercial theater, the county courthouse, and a general store. Cool. The family, which consisted of Thomas Whaley, his wife Anna, and their two children, Francis Hinton and Thomas Jr., moved into the house in 1857 with their third child, Anna Amelia, being born soon after. And right off the bat... The house was haunted. <laughs> so shortly after the Whaley family moved in, they told the San Diego Union that they heard heavy footsteps in the house, which they believed to be the ghost of James Yankee Jim Robinson. It's quite the name. Who, might you ask, is James Yankee Jim Robinson? I'll I, tell ya. Okay, I didn't ask, but okay, go ahead. You're gonna hear it, because... <laughs> It's written on my in my notes. <laughs> so before Thomas Whaley purchased the land in 1855, it was actually the site of several local public hangings, one of them being that of Yankee Jim. In 1852, Yankee Jim was convicted of stealing a boat and publicly hanged in the spot where the house was later built. In fact, according to the legend, Thomas Whaley was present at Yankee Jim's hanging and still thought three years later, you know what? This place would be an awesome place to build my family's house.
1: I'm sorry. He was hung for stealing a boat.
0: Yeah. He was also like unsuccessful in stealing
1: it. So he but didn't he even steal the boat. He just. Yeah. Tried to, to steal the boat. Mm-hmm. Death sentence for potential boat theft. Yep. All right. Yep.
0: Carry on. You see Apparently why he- that
1: makes logical sense.
0: But also, you can see why maybe Yankee Jim's kind of pissed. Yeah. I would be. But it wouldn't take long before the property saw even more death. Thomas Jr., the Whaley's second child, would pass away from scarlet fever shortly after moving into the house. Thomas was just 18 months old at the time. And, to add insult to injury, not long after that, a fire started in the home and Thomas Whaley's general store burned down apparently due to arson. One of the reasons why I'm really excited to see this house is because I have no idea what it looks like because there are so many things in it. Like right now it's a house and a general store. Later there's a courthouse in it and a theater and it's all just in a, in a house and I cannot in my brain, even with the videos I've watched, I cannot picture how the setup is but They had the general store in the house. It caught on fire. It burnt down, apparently due to arson. So Thomas, Anna, and their two remaining children actually moved to San Francisco after that because 1858 was not a great year for the Whaley's. But 10 years later, Thomas and Anna would move their now five children back to San Diego and back into the Whaley house. So we've got Francis Hinton, Anna Amelia, george hay ringgold violet eloise and corinne lillian and it was upon the family's return that the property became not only the whaley family home but also the headquarters for the city courthouse san diego's first theater troupe and the general store and more on january 5th 1882 violet eloise whaley and anna amelia whaley were both married in old san diego violet married George T. Bertolacci and Anna Amelia wed her first cousin, John H. Whaley. But two weeks into Violet's marriage, while on their honeymoon, Violet woke up and George was just gone. Turns out, George Bertolacci was a con man who had married Violet for her dowry. And because this was the 1800s, people were total dicks about it. Ugh. So their divorce was finalized about a year later, but because of it, Violet was essentially shunned by society because she was a ruined woman and doomed to be a spinster at age 20. <laughs> it... I know the amount of friends I had that have been married and divorced, and I'm in like my mid-30s. So many. Yeah. I'm sorry, all of you women who are now ruined and spinsters. One
1: ruined, ruined woman right over here. I know. Was, I wasn't going to say it, but... <laughs> what was what was Sean thinking when he uh, married me again? Yeah. I'm ruined. Anyway,
0: it's sorry. Ruined. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, Violet became depressed. And on August 18th, 1885, she committed suicide at age 22 by shooting herself in the chest. And she left behind a suicide note which read, Mad from life's history, swift to death's mystery, glad to be hurtled, anywhere anywhere out of this world which i i think is a pretty baller suicide note but whatever
1: riddle me this riddle me that who's
0: afraid of the big black bat so this is actually a passage from bridge of sighs which is a poem by thomas hood and unsurprisingly it is apparently one of edgar Allan poe's favorite poems oh yeah he talks about it all the time or did talk about all the time. He might still as far talk as I know, it, he's gotten know. over it. The youngest of the Whaley children, Corinne Lillian, was actually engaged to be married during the time of Violet's death. But due to the scandal, her fiancé called off the wedding. And after all of this tragedy, Thomas Whaley built his family a single-story home in downtown San Diego, leaving the Whaley house vacant for over two decades. During this time, both Thomas and his daughter, Anna Amelia, passed away and the Whaley House fell into disrepair. That is, until 1909, when Francis Whaley began restoring the house, turning it into a tourist attraction where he would promote its history and, quote, entertain visitors with his guitar, end quote. (laughs) He's just a struggling musician, trying to make it in the big bad California world. By 1912, Anna Whaley, the mother, her daughter Corinne, and her two surviving sons, Francis and George, lived in the house. Anna died at age 80 in 1913. In 1914, her eldest son, Francis, died. George died in 1928, and Corinne Lillian lived in the house until her death in 1953. In 2005, Life magazine named the Whaley house the most haunted house in America which was echoed by the Travel Channel's Most Haunted, who dubbed it the most supernatural
1: home in the United States. I wonder how they determine this stuff because I've had a few places that I'm like, this place called it the most haunted, blah, blah, blah. What? How do they determine this stuff? I don't know, and I bet it changes every year. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> and the
0: house has also appeared on such shows as Fact or Faked, Paranormal Files, Buzzfeed Unsolved, and of course, Ghost Adventures. Yeah, because who's surprised it's super haunted and many of the ghosts experienced in the whaley house are actually the whaleys themselves visitors and staff will often report hearing the sound of a baby crying and this is thought to be the ghost of thomas whaley jr who passed away at 18 months and people also report the sound of what they think is thomas giggling as well as the sound of tiny footsteps
1: cute cute
0: On the second floor of the house, people report feeling immense sorrow, as well as seeing the apparition of a young woman. This is believed to be Violet, who spent a great deal of time in this area of the house after her divorce, prior to her committing suicide. Thomas Whaley Sr. and his wife, Anna, have also been seen throughout the house. Thomas, in particular, has been seen in his frock, coat, and top hat, looking down at people from the landing, and one five-year-old girl was waving and interacting with a man that she described resembling Thomas, though no one else could see him. And people have reported smelling Anna's signature scent, which is a French perfume, as well as seeing her ghostly figure sipping tea in the parlor or floating along in a billowy white dress in the garden.
1: She sounds so classy. I would also be looking down at people if I was wearing like a top hat, standing up on oh, a balcony. Oh, yeah, thing. he's I'd just be like... like what are you doing in my house come smell my wife's signature scent it's french it's dead
0: (laughs) people will report throughout the house mists lights turning on and off the sound of heavy footsteps cold spots and unexplained shadows have been experienced by staff and visitors alike there is said to be the ghost of a young girl with long hair and in a long dress seen in the dining room, as well as, like, the sounds of children running and playing can be heard throughout the house, though, and legend has it that this ghost is that of a playmate of one of the Whaley children who had accidentally broken her neck on a low-hanging clothesline in the backyard of the house, oh. and her name is thought to be Annabelle or Carrie Washburn.
1: Oh.
0: Yeah, if it makes you feel any better, there's not a whole heck of a lot of evidence to substantiate that rumor. Um, They think that perhaps this was started by an old staff member. But either way, apparently the girl is still there. People Uh... see her. There have been stories of curtains being pulled back as if someone is looking out the windows, even though the house is empty and closed. And one time there was a 911 call made about a woman, after hours, who was outside of the Whaley house, crying. I was going to make a joke and said that she was outside of the Whaley House whaling. And then I was like, that's not funny. And then you still made the joke. I still made the joke. <laughs> you can cut that, though, if you want. I'm, I'm
1: not going to unless you want me to.
0: When the police officer showed up and asked the woman if she was all right, she turned to him, smiled. And then as he shone his flashlight on her, she disappeared. And then there is, of course, Yankee Jim. Yeah, of uh, course. Who even the Whaley's believed to haunt the house from the moment that they moved in. Although the land that the Whaley house stands on had seen many hangings before that of Yankee Jim, it's no wonder that his ghost is said to remain. Being a particularly tall man, taller than most at the time, during his hanging, it is said that there was a miscalculation in the length of the hanging rope. So instead of snapping his neck, like what was intended, Instead, according to an 1873 article in the Los Angeles Herald, quote, he swung back and forth like a pendulum until he strangled to death, end quote. And according to some accounts, it took upwards of 45 minutes. That's terrible. Which is kind of ironic that there was a little girl who broke her neck because of a clothesline, and yet the man who was supposed to break his neck ended up being strangled to death. Dude,
1: hanging is so fucking brutal.
0: I know. (sighs) To this day, like the Whaley's, people will attribute the sound of heavy footsteps to Yankee Jim, as well as cold spots and the feeling of tightness in their chest and throats. People also claim to see him, though when you get close, he disappears. There have also been reports of a small woman seen in the courtroom. The woman is described as having a swarthy complexion, Dark eyes and hair, wearing a full floor-length skirt with small print, and she wears gold hoop earrings as well as a cap on her head. And she doesn't match the description of any of the Whaley's, so it's thought that perhaps she is a former tenant of the Whaley House, because when Corinne was the last one who lived there before she died in the 1950s, I guess she took on a bunch of tenants to help her out. People will also report hearing the sound of a gavel from the courtroom. Who surprised? There have also been reports of sounds in the room where the Tanner Troop Theater was once located. So in 1868, an upstairs family bedroom was converted into a theater after Thomas Whaley rented the room out to the Tanner Troop, which is a local theater troupe ran by Thomas Tanner. For the troupe's opening night performance, the small room accommodated a stage, a few benches, and 150 guests. Wow. Although it was mostly standing room only and ladies had been advised not to wear their hoop skirts or petticoats that would allow for more room. (laughs) But only 17 days after opening night, Thomas Tanner died, according to some sources, backstage after one of their performances. So the theater is said to be haunted by Tanner, as well as the sound of past performances, such as the sound of vaudeville music and laughter. Pleasant. And then... There are ghost pets. I love a ghost pet. I know, me too. So the ghost of a spotted dog, possibly a fox terrier, has reportedly been seen possibly the Whaley's own terrier named Dolly Verdon. Which for a second there I thought it was like a play on like Dolly Parton, and then I was like, no, this is way before Dolly Parton. <laughs> Why would I think that? It's <laughs> like hundred years before Dolly That's Barton how legendary was alive. <laughs>
1: Dolly is. Dolly was a legend before she was Dolly.
0: Exactly. They were also said to have a pet cat, and visitors have reported seeing a dog chase a cat around the house and garden. So it was said when Thomas Whaley first built the Whaley House that it was quote-unquote destined to be haunted. And I guess they were right. And that is my story about the
1: Whaley House. Do you imagine how much it would suck to like build this nice new house and then realize that the house you built was haunted like you're like sweet i'm starting from scratch no worries here oh that sucked
0: maybe i shouldn't have looked at this place where a bunch of people were murdered and went this is a really good place to have a family home maybe he was just really ditzy
1: and didn't even think about it
0: yeah maybe i don't know he sounded like he was a pretty good businessman when he came from new york but who knows
1: book smart and street smart two totally different things totally different and to be ghost smart you got to be street smart
0: very true yeah but in newspaper articles from back in the 1800s they're like dude this place is going to be so freaking haunted (laughs) like it's going to be and that was like prime ghost time or maybe they didn't realize it was going to be prime ghost time and now whew bad idea a lot of bad choices made in our stories tonight yeah yeah. On a skeptic scale, I'm going to give it a four. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to give it a 4.5 because I'm madly obsessed with the Whaley house. so
1: I really hope you get to go visit it. That sounds rad.
0: I know. I know. I really, really hope that the world doesn't close down again. Well, I'm wearing or at masks. Or that it's back open again, in February. So. Yeah, I know. That's what everything just said. Got to put those masks on again.
1: We'll see what happens. To all of our listeners out there, be safe. If you aren't vaccinated yet, I would like to encourage you to do that. I mean, ultimately, is is your choice, but please do. If you can be vaccinated, please do.
0: Please and thank you from someone who has lung problems. (laughs) I got the black lung pop. I think I've got the black lung pop. (laughs) All right. Word on the street.
1: Is you have a listener story for me. I do have a listener story for you. We've got a few and I chose one for tonight.
0: Awesome.
1: I'm ready. I'm ready. This anonymous listener story has the pronouns she, they. Thank you for normalizing pronouns. This listener starts. A friend of mine convinced me to go ahead and send him some stories. But I've got quite a few so I figure I can just send them in one at a time or something. Hopefully, that means I'll get more again eventually. Right. I should preface this by saying, I used to live in Tennessee, and I've always had an interest in the paranormal, so I found myself finding haunted places quite often. The city I lived in was where there was a battle taking place during the Civil War, so as you can imagine, it was quite haunted. It all started when I was 14. I lived with my parents and younger brother, so the way the house was set up was that there was this open loft area, my brother's room, a bathroom in between us, and then my room. The entire upstairs you could see from the living room as everything was open. This is important. Okay. When I was around the age of 14, I started staying up late and just wanted to be on the family computer. Classic. Yep. Right there with, yeah. For our younger listeners, you used to not have your computer just in your hands as part of your phone. There was a family <laughs> computer, and it was usually in a public area. And everybody. It, usually over it. in a computer room. Yeah. Called it the computer room. Computer room or family room. <laughs> anyway, one night in particular, I was on the family computer when I hear heavy footsteps coming up the stairs. I assumed it was my dad, so I started closing everything out. And when I looked, expecting to get yelled at for being up so late, there's no one there. On another occasion, I was sitting in my room and the light was off in the hallway and I saw eyes catch in the light coming from my room. I go out into the hall expecting to find one of my cats, only to see that the cat in the hall is a black cat and not one that we owned. Oh, oh, okay.
0: I mean, I have a black cat, so that wouldn't make me freaked out. That makes me happy.
1: It freaked me out, especially when I looked back and the cat was gone and it only got weirder from there. I started seeing weird shadow shapes on my walls that I couldn't trace the source of, And looking at them always gave me a really weird feeling i ended up starting to sleep on the couch in the living room because i didn't feel safe in my room and on one of these occasions i was looking towards the upstairs and i see that the light above the stairs was swinging wildly so much so that it looked like it was going to hit a wall all of a sudden this little girl in old looking clothes appeared at the top of the stairs and was staring down at me she looked very solid and real and looking at her made my head hurt sorry my wheezing breath but as soon as she disappeared the headache went away and as soon as she was gone the light stopped swinging abruptly like it hadn't been moving at all this all went on for months and it only ever seemed to happen to me well it wasn't long until i started obviously having sleeping problems yeah obviously (laughs) really yep (laughs) i was later diagnosed with narcolepsy which if you don't know is a sleep disorder One of the symptoms of narcolepsy is if it's bad enough there's hallucinations so naturally i brushed Um. all of these incidents off as hallucinations and never told anyone because i felt silly for being so afraid all that time i forgot about all of that until months later when my mom casually brings up hearing someone banging on the garage door and when she went to check there was no one there there were a few other things she ended up bringing up and she even joked about the house being haunted. A few years ago, my parents were in the process of selling the house and moving into another part of the city, so they left me to stay in that old house to house sit while we waited to sell it. Okay. It was pretty nice for a while, as I was able to get a lot of work done when I couldn't bother anyone with my late hours, and I had long since brushed off the stuff that had happened to me when I was 14, just as something weird that happened. I hadn't really had any other experiences after that. And then weird stuff started happening again. I would put something somewhere and come back to find it in a different place. One time I had a guy friend come over while I was working on a cosplay and we were talking, but as I was working, I had my back turned to him and was focused on my sewing. He wasn't really paying attention to me, but all of a sudden he goes, Hey, why did you throw this fabric at me? And it was a piece of scrap fleece. I tell him I hadn't thrown it. I was focusing on what I was doing. We went back and forth for several minutes. He is still convinced I threw it, even though I didn't, many years later. Interesting. Thank you, Anonymous, for sharing that story. Um, I would like to say that as a fellow cosplayer, you don't throw scrap fabric, so you are definitely right and your friend is definitely wrong. <laughs> no other proof needed. <laughs> It's hard enough to keep track of where everything is when you're cosplaying all your materials and tools. You don't need to be throwing stuff around. So this friend should just take that as belief and roll with it. Also,
0: it was years ago. Let it go. And also... Except for you. You're allowed to be like, no, for realsies, I didn't.
1: (laughs) And also, there's also the whole rest of the stuff that happened in the house that was also freaky, but as a sewer and cosplayer i just got hung up on that scrap fabric piece (laughs) if you have a listener story you would like to submit you can do so by visiting our website www.leftofskeptic.com and clicking the listener stories tab or you can email us directly at leftofskeptic at gmail.com you can include your name or choose to remain anonymous either way we just ask that you please include your pronouns
0: You can also find us on social media. We're at Left of Skeptic on Twitter and Instagram and Left of Skeptic podcast on Facebook.
1: Thank you again for joining us this spooky Wednesday. I'm about to go get out of this hot, hot recording room and lay down and relax. I hope you have an excellent week. Yes, have a fantastic week. I hope the air
0: stays clean for y'all. Me too. We love you. Love you. Okay. okay. Bye. bye. The Left of Skeptic podcast is written and hosted by Kayla Moria and Brittany Lind. This week's episode is edited by Kayla Moria. The Left of Skeptic music is by Dave Melling and Emily Havoc. And our artwork is by Al LeBlanc. Okay. Bye.